Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Hi there. I am Carol Jurgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and I am here to help you figure out what in the heck is going on in your life, what do you do, what do you do to make it better, and What are some of the elements that you need to know so that you get stronger, you get smarter, you get wiser, and you fight off, or at least learn how to manage the sexual addiction? Sex addiction will never go away, but you clearly can get healthier by being smarter, wiser, and creating a plan that is going to work for you. Now, you know we interview people all over the world. And tonight, I'm going to be interviewing Gavin Sharp. He is a British psychotherapist who is a sex addiction specialist in Monaco and the south of France. And he's going to be talking to us about the denial process. And when I read some things that he had to say, I contacted him personally. And I said, you know what, Gavin? What I know to be true is that Dr. Carnes said that when we're working with sex addicts, the very first stage, the very first phase that we need to break, that we need to break through with an addict is denial. And so when I read some of Gavin's stuff about denial, I said, I've got to have you on. We've got to explain to our listening audience, to the addicts and their loved ones, a little bit about how does the role of denial play out in sex addiction? Because one of the things we know is that defense mechanisms are 
absolutely a part of any addiction, whether you justify or minimize or rationalize, whether you're in denial, you project, uh, you have a reaction conversion, whatever is going on in your life whereby you cannot look at your addiction for what it is, it is probably a defense mechanism. And although defense mechanisms can be very helpful initially, they can turn out to being the barrier that keeps you from getting healthy. Now, i got to tell you that Gavin, he cited Rosalind Kaplan who said, Denial is a useful defense mechanism until it's not. So tonight we're going to be talking about how does a sex addict stay in denial and in what ways does that work against him or her? And how does an addict who doesn't want to see themselves as an addict recover? In other words, how do you break through the denial? I'm excited because i got to tell you, when we understand those components, we're much better off getting healthy and figuring it out and making our lives different. And so, you know, I was talking with um, a client today, and one of the things he did when I asked him questions is that he very much generalized everything he said. If I said, what do you want to work on? He might say, well, you know, Carol, one of the things I want to work on is intimacy. And I'd say, you know, that's pretty generalized. I'd say, okay, well, share with me in what way do you want to work on intimacy? And he couldn't. And that said to me that he really wasn't ready to look at those things that were keeping him in addiction. And I called him on it because a good therapist always does. And I said, look, we've got to get down to the grassroots of what you want. And he said, okay, well, what I want to do is I want to work on getting closer to my wife. And I said, okay, so tell me what's getting in the way of that. And he said, um, she just doesn't understand me. And I said, what do you mean by that? And one of the things that he was able to say was that they were not close, and he felt like she was putting up the barriers. And you know what? What I know to be true is that that's probably true because she knows it's not safe. And if it's not safe, why would anybody open their hearts up when their hearts have already been ripped apart? So I said, you know what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to use empathy. And we all know that empathy is that ability to put yourself in his or her shoes and then practice letting them know that you get it. Well, he kept operating from a place of, no, well, she doesn't understand me, and we got to make this better. And when she understands me, I'll be able to communicate with her. Well, one of the things I absolutely believe is true 
possibly understand what your partner is going through unless you can look at it from her eyes. And he was having trouble doing that. And therefore, I knew what we would have to do is spend a lot of time figuring that out and deciding what we could do to make things better. Now, the bad news is that sex addicts oftentimes are selfish, self-interested, and they're not real good at empathy. So you've heard me talk about it before, but I decided to show him how to work from a place of empathy, and that means he had to figure out what is the empathy formula. I think if you can break down any hard task and you can make it be about a three-part formula, you're much more likely to remember how to do it. And so I said, you know, empathy is when you acknowledge whatever the issues are, why she's mad at you, why she doesn't trust you, what's going on in her life. And then it's validating the feelings. Wow, and that can be hard because, believe it or not, an addict wants to stay in denial. They don't want to talk about the feelings. And then the last part of that is that they really need to work on reassuring the person that they betrayed. Now, maybe it's not a partner. Maybe it is, in actuality, a parent, a coworker, a friend. But whatever that means, that requires that you put yourself in the other person's shoes. You are able to figure out how they feel. You are able to acknowledge and validate their feelings And then you let them know what you're going to do to make the situation better. And what we know is that if you're not in recovery, there is no way you're going to know what to do to make the feeling better. All right. So that is the formula for how you do that. And that can be very, very difficult. And I want you to know that it's imperative absolutely imperative that you be able to figure that out with the help of a trained psychotherapist because I you know what I do not expect you to be able to do it on your own I know there have been years and years and years you couldn't do it at all therefore what I really want to encourage you to do is to say to your therapist whoever that is hey I really do want to make a difference I really do want to make it better. And when you do that, and with intent and with honesty, you're much more likely to really look at life differently. Now, if you're not with somebody and you're a single sex addict, you may say to yourself, who do I really have to work with? But more than likely, you are not working in a vacuum. You absolutely 100% know that you have got to be able to put yourself in the shoes of other people. And if you don't, well, 
there are going to be a lot of problems because you're not going to be able to understand how other people feel. And what I really believe in my heart is that it is imperative for you to get these skills if you're going to get out of sexual addiction. I know it's not fair, but it is absolutely imperative and instrumental in taking yourself out of that selfish sex addiction role and knowing how you affect others. Again, Patrick Carnes says, you know, the first step in breaking denial is to identify what problems have my addiction caused? So ask yourself, what are some of the problems? Not what are some of the problems. I take that back. What are all of the problems? Number two, he asks you to look at all the secrets you've been keeping to help get you out of denial. You know, if you don't realize the secrets that you're keeping, it's easy to fool yourself and tell yourself it is not as bad as you thought. But what we know is that until you break through that denial and realize how many secrets you have shared within yourself that will never, ever, ever you won't get healthy because you've got to be able to look at your secrets. So, what secrets have you been keeping? Is it the amount of prostitutes? Is it the amount of time you've spent on the Internet? Is it uh, the fact that you actually lost a job at one point? You know, just what was it that was causing you great difficulty. And then one of the things that I want to ask yourself is I want to ask you what were the excuses you told? You know, what were the things that you weren't honest about? How did you rationalize, defend, justify, and continue in that denial mode. That is absolutely imperative. So, we need to know how you've been hiding from yourself. Because when you break that sense of denial, you're much more likely to get in tune with the damage it's causing you and others. And I know you may be tuning in because somebody has said to you, this is a problem, and you're actually trying to find evidence to prove that it isn't. And that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? I'm Carol Jurgensen-Sheets. This is Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and welcome to the show. This is Gavin. Hello. Good evening, Carol. Yes, and you're calling all the way from? All the way from the south of France. 
That's what I thought. Well, Gavin, I so appreciate you doing this because we had a little bit of a scheduling mishap, and I want my listening audience to know that you are actually awake at 3.15 your time, a.m.? I am, and I'm here with a very big pot of freshly brewed coffee. But, yes, it is 3.15 in the morning. Well, let's toast because I've got a big coffee, too. I've worked 14 hours. <laughs> I've got another hour to go, and it just gives me a little boost and makes me much more alert for my guests and my listening audience. So, Gavin, i got to tell you, you are a wonderful writer, and I had read something that you had written about uh-huh. denial and sex addiction, and I contacted you, and I said, I would love to have you on the show so you could talk to my listening audience about the pros and cons of denial. Can you tell me a little bit about sex addicts who come to you for therapy and they're in a state of denial? Of course. And firstly, I should just say to you, Carol, uh, thank you very much for um, for inviting me to be on the show. It's a real honor to uh, to join you and your listeners. So uh, so thank you for having me. Um, yeah, d- you know, d- denial is um, such a powerful obstacle to recovery, and you know, many of us assume that if someone has kind of walked through the room of a therapist's office, they're there. You know, I'm here. I need help. Um, and let's get to work. And actually, it's very often the case that one of the hardest stages of the recovery process, I mean, it's all tough, but one of the hardest stages is actually admitting that if we're an addict, we actually have a problem. So uh, people can sit in my office and they may say, I'm here, but actually I'm here because my partner, my spouse thinks I have a problem, but I don't. Um, or sometimes someone will be sat here and, and they come up with a, um, a partial admission. This is for the, the listeners who are old enough to remember this. This is what I call the Bill Clinton. I, I, I didn't inhale. They're, they're here with, a, I think I have a problem with sex, ah, but it's not that bad. Um, or um, sometimes people will say, you know, I'm here. Um, I am serious and I want to make things better in my marriage, but just don't take away all my fun. Um, So I actually had someone in fact come to see me recently and they said, you know, Gavin, I saw on your website that you, you specialize in sex addiction. So maybe you want me to be a sex addict. Um, So it comes out and we'll talk about it more during the, um, during the show, but it comes out in all different ways. But I guess the point is just even if people come in on their own because they've recognized life is out of control, there is still that part of them that doesn't want to come to terms with, I may be an addict. And that's tough. Well, and you and I both know that denial is the first issue that we need to break through to help somebody to get to recovery. I mean, denial is the first task that Patrick Karn said that a therapist needs to work through. And so it's common, it's normal, mm-hmm. and um, it is. it does show insight if a client can understand how their own denial may have initially 
kept them in a state of thinking things weren't as bad as they were, but ultimately contributed to the demise of their behaviors. So I want to ask you, what do you do with somebody who is coming to therapy, they're in denial, and they don't even know it? It's a good question. I mean, I guess we, we, we therapists have to meet our clients. Um, and, you know, you know this, Carol, we have to meet our clients where they are. Um, so what I'm trying to assess in those early sessions is someone's motivation um, for change. And everyone's going to be at a slightly different point um, on that scale. Um, and I'm just looking for signs that will give me a clue um, how motivated they are. So again, someone came to see me recently, um, and this isn't that uncommon. I'm sure you've seen this too. They came to see me for an issue that was actually unrelated to sex addiction. But they were actually displaying what came out during the assessment was that they were displaying covert sexually compulsive behaviors that were having very negative consequences. So I just began to ask some, some gentle questions, you know, in terms of, you know what, this is, this is what I'm hearing you talk about in terms of your life at the moment, your coping mechanisms, how you're behaving. And I'm just curious about how you make sense of that. Um, I'll probably talk later a little bit about some of the instruments that we've we, we have in our toolkit to, to be more scientific about it. But really, those first few sessions, if someone's in denial, I just want to assess how willing they are um, to, um, to change. Um, and I guess just to add, you know, we often talk about breaking the denial into stages. Um, and that's probably, uh, you know, what you were referring to right at the start, um, you know, that, that first stage that Patrick Kahn's identified. So one of the most effective ways to do that is to work with that person um, and just look at the cognitive distortions, the ways in which um, we distort our reality to make the pain more bearable. So some of those denial examples I was giving you, the blanket denial, the partly admission, those cognitive distortions just begin to kind of pull them apart and look at those stories that that we tell ourselves that, um, that sound good, but they stop us feeling bad, at least in the short term. But of course, in the meantime, life is spiraling out of control. Well, absolutely. And so obviously, like you said, we meet our clients where they're at, but we start talking about what are the problems that this behavior has caused you? And, you know, what kind of secrets have you held from other people? And, and last but not least, what are some of the excuses that you've told yourself when your head, heart, or gut might be saying this is a problem, but you're not really ready to give it up or change your life? And so I know you do a lot of talking about cognitive distortions and how they play a role in breaking through that denial. Can you talk a little bit about how do you see sex addicts using cognitive distortions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so these cognitive distortions, these are the, the ways that we, we convince ourselves that 
um, that something isn't true. It's it's like you know when we and and the press is is the media are so switched onto this now, and we see we see a story about a celebrity. There's another one who has um, done something that the rest of us look at and think, what were you thinking? I mean, it was obvious in that scenario you would be found out. And partly the, the response to that is that they, they weren't thinking or their distorted thinking, their cognitive distortions had prevented them from seeing the reality of their, of their situation. So um, I'll, I'll give you an example, maybe just to say three or four, because there's a multitude of ways in which this, um, this manifests itself. But um, some of the very common ways um, and this, again, goes to your question before. This is the kind of beginning to hold up the, the mirror to someone. So one of the ways someone will come in is just the kind of, they'll often compare themselves to someone else. So we call this minimizing, where we make something seem smaller, or it's a, it's a justification that doesn't reflect reality. So it's not uncommon for someone to say, but you know what, compared to so-and-so I saw on the news recently, I'm... I'm not that bad. I'm not like them. Um, and, and that may be true. And my response is, well, that, that's possibly the case. Now, if we don't do some work together, you may end up like them because of the progressive nature of addiction. But that's a classic example of minimizing. Um, blaming is also really common, and it makes it so hard for the the spouses, if the spouse or the partner is in the firing line. But, um, but addicts don't really want to take responsibility for their actions. Um, so because to do so would be we have to face um, the, the reality of our lives. So it's much easier to blame someone else. So something that might be common, someone will say, well, if I was having more sex at home, um, I wouldn't be in this situation. Um, if my boss didn't make my life a misery. So there's just this projecting what's happening in their life onto someone else. Um, and, and just another, an, another couple is seen a lot. Um, uniqueness is, is, is one. The amount of times that someone will say, and I should add, by the way, that when, as I'm sure you see this, Carol, when someone is sat there and they are, exercising one of these distortions, they believe it. It's not that they're trying to catch me out. Um, it's more that they're trying to catch themselves out. They don't want to have to face it. So it sounds so grandiose and offensive and, hey, come on, this is so obvious. But really, if it was that obvious, the person wouldn't be doing it. Um, so uniqueness is one where someone says, my situation is different. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that. Um, but what you need to understand, Gavin, is that for me, my situation is um, it's different and therefore um, the rules don't apply. I mean, how many times has um, a very well-known someone in the, um, in the public eye believed that actually their situation is unique? Uh, it doesn't apply to them. Um, and, um, and that's why Patrick Collins, um, in one of his really early books, he actually called um, this process sincere delusion you know it's that that believing our own lives um rationalization is another common one where um someone will say look i i deserve this this is my treat i work 24 7 life is stressful i have 
six kids and three dogs and two cats and whatever the thing is. And so um, I'm going to attempt to make this behavior seem logical. Um, and, and what's interesting is that if someone is narcissistic or someone has other areas of their life where things are going well, that makes the denial so much easier because the message to the world and to themselves is, hey, everyone, look over here. Because over here, look how great I am at sports, at work. Um, I'm such a great dad. Or so it's so easy to believe the good stuff. So um, I'll pause there because, and I'm sure you have seen so many of them too. There are so many ways that our clients in their pain will find ways just to kind of not, not face it, not own that pain. Well, absolutely. And it's always that delicate balance between them not owning up, them being in denial, which you said so appropriately. They don't even know that they're lying to themselves, and that's what the acronym of denial stands for. Don't even know I am lying. And so you've got these people that are fooling themselves, but at the same time, there probably have been times when they tried to stop, when they promised themselves they were not going to participate, when they created additional behaviors that were helpful, that should have combated things, but because they didn't have their entire structure in place, they didn't have the entire committee there to help them, they weren't strong enough to do it by themselves. And let's face it, you and I both know process addictions are the toughest addictions to deal with. And so the denial is always going to be greater than with drugs or alcohol absolutely and 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 you're right it's it's the hardest one and it's the one that we can keep hidden so uh, it's much easier to be found out if we're drinking if we're taking drugs the chances are that someone at home someone at work is going to spot that but if you've split your life off and you've compartmentalized the on the way home from work I can stop off, I can see a prostitute, I can watch porn. Um, there are so many things that I can do in secret that makes it that much harder um, for, um, for us to be found out, to stay in denial. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It sure is. And so these cognitive distortions um, that you describe are really the way the mind justifies what one is doing. It makes you feel better about yourself, and it keeps you stuck in denial. So now, do you believe that in those early stages of addiction, that there are things that can help, tools that can maybe classify or define sex addiction and help break through that denial? Yes, I do, and I... I Think and I come at it. I guess I'm I'm slightly biased, but you know one of the um, one of the benefits of um, seeing someone who is a certified sex addiction specialist is that um, your therapist will have um, available a a range of um, tools which they can tailor to suit um, to suit you to suit the addict, and so. Um, in all of those, what we're working towards is the goal is accountability. And the chances are that someone has lost connection 
in all aspects of their lives. And so depending on going back to the point earlier that you picked up on, depending on where someone is at, um, that's when I think, okay, I think there's something here that we can do together. Um, so um, sometimes it's just taking the distortion and repeating it. And it's, it's as simple as it sounds when we hear it back for the first time. Uh, it can be really powerful. Um, and I, some of this work is also around um, loss and grief. Um, you know, it's, um, we're asking someone to give something up. Um, I had a group recently, in fact, uh, and, I, um, uh, and I asked how many people in the room had a smartphone. And it was a small group, so fortunately for me, everybody put their hand up. Um, and I said, so when was the last time you changed your smartphone? And on average, I think the, the longest, I think, had been three years, but most people had actually been in the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, and I said, so what made you give up your previous smartphone? Why would you give that up? Because these smartphones are fantastic. Um, and they replied that they hoped the new one offered something better. And I said, but you wouldn't know that until you've got the smartphone in your hand. You don't know for sure the battery life's going to be better or the, um, you know, the technology is that much more sophisticated. So this is exactly what we want to do. I want you to have the hope that there's something better um, on offer. Um, so some of the things that you touched upon at the start are exactly what I would begin to do with them. So, um, you know, when you sit down and you do an exercise with someone, and so it's very, very collaborative, um, and actually have someone, okay, so just talk me through. You're telling me it's not a problem. I'm going to go with you on this. Let's just do a list of the consequences. Tell me everything that's happened in your life in the last five years. And so, you know, if you do have a listener that's just kind of, well, I'm, I'm not sure I could be, just, uh, just think about what's, what's happened. If you were to be brutally honest, how may this have affected you? Um, when was the last time you, you went to your church, your temple, or when was the last time you missed a family occasion? Um, how much money have you spent on feeding your addiction? So beginning to actually Think about the consequences. Um, I, I loved, you know, you, you said at the beginning the secrets. Um, and as you know, we know the addiction, um, it flourishes in secrecy. So tell me about the stuff that's, that's secret. Tell me where you've never told anybody. Um, and let's just look at this. And again, when you just begin to have the courage to look at the secrets you've kept from everybody else, from the world, um, the consequences, then I'm in a place where, okay, I can start to do some of the psychoeducational work. I can meet you right where you are because now we're kind of in the pain together. So it's a number of, of, of um, different exercises depending on who's in front of me and, and, and what they need. Did I answer your question? I, I, I felt I may have slightly... Um, Budget, but tell me if there's something that wasn't clear. Yeah, so, so go ahead and ask me the question. No, I was asking the question whether my answer was my answer. Um, oh, no, that uh, was very, very clear. Okay. You know, because I'm so glad that you brought up the consequences. You know, I say that Patrick Carnes asks us to ask our clients, what are the secrets? What are the problems that have occurred as a result of the secrets? What, um, 
What are the defense mechanisms you've used, or as you call them, cognitive distortions? And then what are some of the consequences? And boy, that can be a toughie because sometimes you think there's one, two, or three consequences when really there are 33 consequences. I mean, I was talking with an addict tonight, and he said that his wife, he has always said, I will not lie to my wife. If she asks me if I've acted out, I'm going to tell her. Now, you and I both know that there's lying by just out and out not telling the truth, and there's lying by omission. So already he's telling himself a lie. He's saying, I will tell my wife the truth if she asks. But what he's doing is he's continuing to lie because he knows that there are secrets he's holding, and he's not sharing them because it's lying by omission. The second thing that he said was, she did, she said, okay, tell me, um, tell me, have you been acting out? And he said, yes, I acted out 12 days ago. I've got 12 days sobriety. And she goes, oh, that's all you've got? And he said, yes, but not from deal-breaking behaviors. I mean, I haven't had deal-breaking behaviors in two years. Well, he quickly diverted her into thinking that he was doing better than he really was doing because he talked about deal-breaking behaviors. But the truth of the matter is pornography was in his inner circle, as was prostitution. And so, yes, he had not been a participant in prostitution, but he had been a participant in pornography. And he minimized that. And minimization, as you and I both know, is another cognitive distortion. And so the group that I happened to be working with said, dude, you know, have you thought about, do you really want to tell her everything? Because what we're hearing you say is that you're picking and choosing what you're being honest about. And at least be honest with yourself. If you don't want to tell her everything, Come out and say it, but don't fool yourself, which then fools your wife. And um, the consequence is he stays in some behaviors that he's really not trying to get clean about. And the consequence is that it interferes with he and his wife's intimacy. And so consequences are an important category that, let's face it, our addicts don't always see clearly on. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. And I love the fact that that, that person you mentioned was in a group um, because that's the power of, um, and, and um, I'm so pleased you brought it up because I forgot to mention it, that's the power of going to, um, going to a group, whether it's an ideally a combination of both, but something that is, um, is run by professionals and also some, one of the, um, you know, it's a subject for another day, but one of the 12-step groups but something where we can be accountable to other people because that's when an addict is at least prepared to experiment with being more vulnerable. And, you know, the pain of being honest after so many years of lying to yourself, lying to others, and what's underneath it so often is that shame, that, that the, the, the core beliefs, I'm unlovable. If my wife, if my husband, if my partner, if, Whoever, if the world really knew me, they would reject me. I'm not worthy. So 
when you have that moment in, in the group, and I, I love how you kind of phrased it in that kind of, you know, I'm just imagining the empathic scenario of, you know, dude, you know, th this is what we're hearing. And when it happens in that context, it can be so powerful. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. Well, and, you know, it was interesting because I graduated um, – I became a CSAT in 2007, and I just happened to be sitting with Patrick Carnes at lunch one day, and I asked him two what I thought were important questions. The first one I asked, I said, Dr. Carnes, would you, um, do you think it's a problem that I myself am not a sex addict and that I'm female? And he said, well, you know, Carol, you don't have to have had cancer to treat cancer. So he was basically saying, you know, you don't have to have sex addiction. Although my personal bias 11 years later is I do believe therapists that are sex addicts are probably the best therapists because they know in their gut, their heart, and their mind what goes on in the life of a sex addict. You know, they share that. Nonetheless, that's what he told me, and that was encouraging. And he said, no, I don't think it's any problem. I think you'll find that a lot of men want to talk to women even more than men. And I found that to be 50-50. I mean, I, I recognize Ooh. that some of the men say, this is embarrassing talking to a woman. And so then mm -hmm. some of the men say, I could never talk to a man about this. So, you know, yeah. okay, that's half and half. The other thing he told me was he said, I said, so if I work with sex addicts in a, in a pretty, this is a big area, but there are no other CSATs in Indianapolis, which is a million and a half strong, um, what can I do to make the best advocacy of my time? And he said, you need to run groups. He said, you are not really doing the, your clients justice unless you have therapy groups. And you and I both know that, you know, people need to hear things from a variety of resources, and group therapy is one of those wonderful ways, in addition to 12-step groups, for people to hear what they need to hear in a variety of ways from a variety of, of resources. And I think it breaks through the denial and the cognitive distortions. So what do you think? Do you feel like uh, group therapy is a good way to develop um, support and structure to stay clean, sober, and in recovery? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I'm, I'm a big advocate um, in groups um, and also the only CSAT in um, – I think I'm the only CSAT in, 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 in France, and I also do some work in, in, uh, in London with some groups. But – you know, the power of groups and, you know, I have seen um, sometimes someone will sit in front of me and say, okay, so, um, all right, give me the answer, Gavin. Come on, what's, what's, what's the fast track? Um, and whilst they get what they're saying, and of course, there is no fast track, the only response I can give them is actually if you really do want to hit the fast track, um, and I, I don't like that phrase and, and I use it very carefully, but is start the group work. Um, because that's going to emotionally open, uh, open up a new world. Uh, and I've seen people on, on groups in like a week's intensive, uh, and I've 
I do both. I do sometimes they're weekly, sometimes it's a week intensive. Um, and again, I've seen, uh, I've seen Pat talk about the power of when we begin to put a narrative to our lives, the power of beginning to construct a story, how the brain begins to um, make sense of, okay, so I'm beginning to make sense of my life. I'm realizing stuff that happened in the past. Um, and that really happens best in groups. And, um, and I have seen, by the way, I, I mean, I was in a group where it was, the mix was, um, it was mixed both with kind of, this was an all, all male group, and it was mixed with both gay men um, and heterosexual men. Uh, it made no difference. It shouldn't make any difference. But sometimes the, the participants come with, I think it should be a gay group. I think it should be a, 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 a heterosexual group. And the connection that gets made um, and the, the ability to pick up the phone to someone at that moment when you're at your lowest and you are outside the massage parlor or you are about to do something that you know is in, one, is in your inner circle or, and you just know that I've got to go and face Joe next week at the group and I know this is, um, this is wrong. I know I'm going to be honest about this or I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call Joe. These are just all aspects of why the group work is so important. And, and having a therapist run it, yes, I'm coming at it slightly biased, but someone who can also contain the group and say, okay, I think we're seeing this week, we're seeing cognitive distortions, or you know what, I think we've moved on. This is really helpful. I think we're seeing this. So I'm a huge fan. If you can find a group in your area that supports you and, 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 um, if not, find one online, but find something where you can connect because um, that human connection is what's missing from most addicts' lives. Well, and yeah, I always tell my addicts connection is the antidote to sexual addiction. So I really appreciate that you agree with that too. Now, I want to ask you a couple of additional questions before we have to end. You know, in the early stages of sexual addiction recovery, mm -hmm. what tools might you recommend that would help classify or define sex addiction and help our clients break through their own denial? So um, I guess some of them is what we've said. Um, so the group work, um, a therapy group work, a 12-step meeting. Uh, and um, uh, and uh, this is the point now when, when we're trying to kind of break through the, um, the denial where um, th there's, there's often a crisis at this point where someone is beginning to, um, is beginning to, to, to realize. Um, so one of the things that it's not the uh, it's not the only tool, um, but one of the very powerful tools, as you know, as a um, as a CSAT therapist, um, is the um, is what we call the FDI, um, which effectively is I want to begin to form a treatment plan for someone. So if I've got someone in front of me who is kind of in denial, out of denial, as we've spoken about, this assessment tool, which I think these guys developed over a over a a seven-year period, but one of the things that we have available to us is this battery of tests that that really um, allow us to understand what's happening for someone who thinks they may have an issue with sexually compulsive behavior. Um, 
So it's a great tool for discussion. It produces a detailed report, um, one for me, um, one for the client, that just begins to, or it doesn't begin to, it sets out in detail what is happening in that person's life. So for someone who's in denial, one of the things that I'm going to point to very early on, um, and it's what we were talking about earlier, is that consequences inventory. So begin to say, okay, well, you know, um, you're saying you're not sure if it's a problem, but here's what you, here's what you answered. Um, you know, you have said that um, by acting out, um, you're close to suicide at times. Um, or you've told me that um, actually this is the impact it's had on your financial life or some of the legal problems that it's caused or the impact of your on, on your spirituality. So, um, so that's a really important tool that depending on where someone is, but somewhere early on in that process, um, I'm going to invite someone. It's not essential uh, and it's just part of the process, but it's extremely powerful where we can actually then have something empirical in front of us. Um, that is, um, that is very powerful. And one of the other things I do early on is give someone just the, to be able to hit the pause button on their life. So if you're not sure whether or not you're an addict, um, why don't you try a period of sexual abstinence? So let's agree that there's a period, let's say, of 30 days where um, there is no sex with yourself, with others, and let's see how it goes. Keep a journal. Tell me what it's like. And it can, again, it can be, uh, and the look of shock when, when you, uh, you know, ask a sex addict to, uh, to stop having sex. Um, and I will sometimes say a little, being a little bit cheeky, um, but if you're not an addict, this isn't a problem. You can survive uh, not masturbating for 30 days. I promise you, you won't die. Um, so, you know, I try and bring a little bit of, a little bit of humor if, if it's appropriate, depending on where, you know, where my client is. But um, those are the kind of a couple of the really early things that one is more practical and one is more empirical that just help me begin to work with someone and identify, okay, I think we can call this sex addiction. It's here. Let's, let's go through this together. I got that. And it looks like we might have a question. I'm going to check in while we're talking and see if you have um, – hi, this is Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Do you have a question for Gavin? Uh, no. Are you? No. Okay, well then, thank that you very rude. much. <laughs> yeah, that was, I don't know what that person, she was on hold for six minutes, so maybe she kind of chickened out. You know, yeah. again, denial is, is a tough thing to kind of deal with, and, and and that could have been somebody that wanted to find out something and then changed their mind. So I want to ask yeah, you. you know what? I just, I'll just say, just in case it is someone who is in that place, and I you know, was slightly humorous about it, but... I'm working with someone now who we were emailing each other um, mm-hmm. for probably off on about probably, I would say, four months of I'd like to come and see you. And I didn't know that this was about, about addiction at that point. And I try and set up an initial call. And, but the bottom line is it took about four months of canceling appointments, coming back. Um, and, and it wasn't a kind of no show where I'll actually say, look, you know, I'm not able to offer you something because you're not. I'm giving up my time. It was just, I can't come tomorrow. Um, I'll try and reschedule. So 
you're right. It, it could be just someone that is there thinking, I've changed my mind, I can't do it. And so I hope if that is the case that they just can listen to this and, and um, just take the courage and, and come forward again when the time is right, if they feel comfortable. Well, and definitely, if you want to talk with Gavin Sharp, his website is www.livelovelearn.global. And so, again, you're a British qualified psychotherapist and you're in France, but my guess is that you would work with people if need be via telephone or Zoom, something that's HIPAA compliant? Absolutely. Yeah. So explain to me, Gavin, um, what do you believe the impact of denial is on the spouse or partner, you know, or family of a sex or a love addict. Uh, it's it's devastating, Carolyn, and um, it's just um, it's just so tough. Um, firstly, I mean, you can have a scenario where actually the family um, are also in denial, uh, and uh, you know, it's pretty tough that. You know, a spouse has got a suspicion. Um, you know, part of that denial is to um, to be able to persuade, or we sometimes use the term gaslighting. You know, where the partner is, so the addict is actually saying, "No, there's something wrong with you, honey." You know, these these late nights in the office. You know what my job is like, and the spouse is thinking, "Gosh, what's wrong with me?" And I, I should be more reasonable. Uh, you know, my my partner is working so hard. Um, so. What all of that means is that afterwards, when the truth begins to come out, um, it can be, I can't overestimate, it can be devastating. Uh, And there's so much research now that actually shows that the impact um, on the partner of a sex addict, what they experience is actually equivalent to to PTSD, to the the post-traumatic stress. Um, So that that partner is going to go through a roller coaster of... um, any number of emotions that are range from depression, um, obsessing about the, the trauma, anger, um, sleepless nights. I mean, it's, it is devastating that you um, are coming to terms with the fact that the person that you've been living with or married with, you have a family with, um, they have a whole nother life. Um, and, and another go-to place that's heartbreaking is when the um, you know, when the partner begins to say, well, I, I wonder if it's me. Uh, I wonder if, if I put on too much weight or this or that. So, so in that situation, my, my recommendation immediately is for the partner. They need to feel safe. They need to get support. Um, and so, um, you know, I really encourage the, the partners to, who may be listening to this to, um, to seek that support, to get professional help, um, uh, because it's it's tough. I am so pleased that you're so partner sensitive. I actually am part of another group. It's called APSATS. It is the Association for Partners of Sex Addiction Trauma Therapists. And we are mm-hmm. therapists and coaches that specifically work with partners because they do suffer from a continuum of anxiety, typically post-traumatic stress being one of the symptoms. So... I am thrilled that you understand about gaslighting. And for our listening audience, gaslighting is when 
in some way, when uh, uh, an addict is not ready to come clean, they may even use excuses that make the partner feel crazy. And just to get him or her off the track. And so what is apparent to me is that it is absolutely therapeutic for a professional to help a partner realize this is not about him or her. This is about the addiction. And these are the coping mechanisms they are using until they break through their own denial. And that's what we've been talking about tonight. Is it not, Gavin? Absolutely. And, and, uh, and just that last point, you know, on, on, on partners, and I was writing about um, recently about the, uh, the wife of, of a, a, a high-profile figure, and everyone was saying, well, she must have known, she must have known, and she's not my client, and she might have known, but there's a very high probability that she didn't know. And so the shame, you know, this is someone who had been in hiding for months because that go-to place is, how can I have been so stupid? Uh, and, uh, and as you just beautifully wrapped it up because, um, you know, you, you were duped. You were also wrapped up in that whole blanket of denial. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's very much relevant partners. And thank you for asking the question because I'm, I, I agree with you. It's so relevant to that, that whole early stages and the, the, the devastating impact of, of the denial. Oh, 100%. And so, as we are wrapping up, is there anything else you would like to share with our listening audience, either how they can get a hold of you, projects that you're working on, or a last-minute message that you think could be inspiring and get them to the place where they need to be? And you're asking me that at 4 in the morning? I am, um, I am. Come on, Gavin, you have come through beautifully. <laughs> um, no, you know what I would say is just um, uh, sometimes I say to my, my clients who are in so much despair, um, and so long as I mean it and I don't say things that I don't mean uh, because that's part of my ethics to be authentic and congruent, and I'll say to a client, let me hold the hope for you. And there is someone out there or there is a group, there is a therapist out there. If you are suffering from um, or you think you're suffering from sex addiction, there is hope. Um, We've worked with, uh, I know you have as well, Carol, so many people who have gone on beautiful journeys to recovery. It is tough and you have to do the work, Um, but um, you're not alone. Uh, and, um, And there is someone out there that will hold the hope for you if it's just too painful at this moment in time. Well, I love that because that is what I do believe we do. We know that when somebody works this program, when they have their recovery tools, you know, they're using a 12-step group or they're in Recovery Nation or they're in Smart Recovery and they have a mentor or sponsor and they're contacting people in the group and they're doing their reading and and they're making their lives different, they will end up not only combating this, you know, terrible disorder, but they'll be better than 95% of all men and women out there. So I appreciate the fact that you're holding their hope. And, again, I want to let people know that I am talking with Gavin Sharp, and you can go to his website, www.livelovern.com. 
www.global. And Gavin, it's been a pleasure. Amazing that you got up at 3:15 a.m. your time to talk with us today. We so appreciate it. We loved getting this information. Carol, thank you so much for for having me on. It's been an absolute delight, uh, and uh, the work you do in the field is great. So, so thank you very, very much. All right, and we will talk soon. You keep me posted on other articles that you're writing and other projects you're doing. I will do. All the best, and have a good evening. Hey, you too. Thanks, Carol. Okay, bye-bye. So bye-bye. I am, was talking with Gavin Sharp, calling all the way to, from France, and bless his heart, I truly, I tell people, you know, we're going to be on 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and he contacted me yesterday, and he said, oh, my gosh, I thought it was a.m., and I, I, of course I would have rescheduled him, but he says, the show must go on. If you can't get the time changed, I'll be there. And, of course, this is a staple. So the many, many thanks to Gavin. I, I'm sure you appreciated him talking about denial. And, you know, I always say to you that I want to leave you with some hope. And that hope is that there will always be one of you at all times. So fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And I've got a little secret that I talked about last week, but please, please, please share the word. Starting this Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk, I'm going to be doing Betrayal Recovery Radio. And this will be specifically for partners of sex addicts to help them to navigate through the crisis, to find some hope, to create some boundaries, and to to find safety in an unsafe situation. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Barbara Steffens, who is going to be talking about how she started an organization specifically for partner betrayal, and her book, My Sexually Addicted Spouse, which is the Bible of um, Partner Betrayal Books. And um, she's got an incredible story. So please stay tuned. I'm hoping it will be on iTunes by Thursday. If not, just keep keep plugging in Carol the Coach, and um, you will see that you can subscribe for free at iTunes. And once you subscribe, every show comes directly to your computer, and you can decide what you want to put it on so that you can listen to me while you're mowing the grass, while you're washing the dishes, and uh, while you're waiting in the uh, doctor's office for your appointment. Okay, again, we'll see you next week for more Sex Health with Carol the Coach. And um, have make it a great week. I know that you can. Talk to you soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.